All right, good morning, Three Circle. How you guys doing today? Come, whoa, wait a minute. It's been way too good for y'all to be that quiet, man. How many of y'all are glad you came to church today? Kicking off summer. Good to see you guys. Hey, we're kicking off a new series called Water. We're just going to talk about water all summer long, all right? And you may be wondering, what are we going to do all summer talking about water? Well, it's going to amaze you how much the Bible has to say about water, how much the Bible has to say about this elemental thing. From the very beginning, the Bible says the Spirit was hovering over the waters, over the deep at the beginning of creation. And throughout the Bible, we're going to see that so much is tied to water, so many things. So we're going to spend the first part of the summer looking at, uh, including today, the provision of God by refreshing us with water, the refreshing water. Then we're going to spend the middle of the summer, we're going to look at rough water. How many of you know about rough water? We live on the coast. We know when it gets rough, don't we? I mean, the bay is beautiful until a hurricane rolls in and then it becomes a boiling cauldron of destruction, right? Uh, We know about rough water around here. And then at the end of the summer, we're going to look at holy water. And we're going to look at the fact that Jesus said there is a spiritual dynamic to water that we need to all be aware of. So today we're going to begin the summer talking about the provision of God and how he refreshes us with with water. And to do so, we're going to look at two amazing places in the Old Testament where God teaches his people and therefore teaches us about how he can provide for us. And he'll do so through water. Now, Sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, I think we go, now what in the world can we, a modern audience, a modern people, learn from God in the Old Testament? These are people in an ancient culture, in ancient times, speaking a dead language. How can that speak to us? And what I want you to understand today, listen church, is that when you go to the Old Testament, if you look at that time period to ours today, a ton has changed. We have iPhones and medical advancements and all kinds of stuff they didn't have. But let me tell you something that hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. We believe at Three Circle that one of the attributes of the living God is that he is immutable. And immutable means he does not change. So the way God was then is the way God is now. And by the way, that is good news that he doesn't change. You do not want a God that wakes up tomorrow differently. In fact, you don't want a God that goes to sleep either, by the way. God does not change. You can depend on his character forever, eternally. This is who he is. He's not like us. Some of you may go, hey, I'm a different person than I used to be. That's good, but that's not good if you're God. No, you want God to be who he is. And he has revealed himself, and he never changes. So that means when we study the Old Testament, we can go, oh, the way God interacted with his people then is the way he is going to interact with us now. Does that make sense, church? So that's why this is so important. So we're going to go to two places. We're going to go to Isaiah and Exodus. And you're going to see that God himself is going to attach and connect these two verses. So we're going to start in Isaiah. Let me tell you what's going on because you need the context. So Isaiah is prophesying, God is speaking through him to the nation of Israel. At this point, they are a full-fledged nation and they are a nation in shambles. So the history of Israel goes, Egypt, they're just a little ragtag family, but over hundreds of years of slavery, they become a million person group of people. Moses leads them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness. Eventually, they go to the Promised Land. They end up becoming a world power by a succession of God using kings. It starts with Saul, didn't go so well, but then comes King David. We all know the story. And through King David and then subsequently his son and his grandson, Israel becomes a superpower. And so they become wealthy, they become successful, they become unbeatable on the on the battlefield, 
They become an amazing nation, and they also become a proud nation and an arrogant nation. And we know the history. They began to walk away from God, the God who gave them all of this. And where we're going to pick up the story today is that Israel is being disciplined by God in a very harsh way because they would not turn back to him. He eventually allows a barbaric nation, the Babylonians, to overtake, defeat, and then captivate, take them into captive, the people of Israel. It's a really bad situation. And before you think, why would God be so harsh? Just understand, prophet after prophet had warned the people of Israel. You can read all about it in the Old Testament. They keep saying, turn back to God or it's not going to go well. Turn back to God or this is going to happen. And finally, God disciplines his people But we're going to pick up the story where through Isaiah, he says, hey, discipline time is coming to an end. I'm going to rescue you again. I'm going to reestablish you. And this is how it's going to go. Let's go there now. Isaiah 48 says this. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Don't miss this line, church. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. What would have been the result? Then your peace would have been like a what, church? A river. And your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand. Your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Verse 20 is the good news for a a nation who's in peril. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy. So in other words, he says, when I rescue you, I want you to declare. Most theologians believe this was actually a song that he wants them to sing as they leave. He says, I want you to say it so loud, send it to the ends of the earth. So I want everybody to hear it. Here's what you are to say. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. Now, let's dive into this, this, this incredible passage. First of all, uh, some artistic renderings of just how bad the Babylonian takeover was. This is a few pictures. Imagine how traumatic this would have been. So Israel had a city now. It had walls. It was uh, beautiful. It had a temple, the great Solomon temple. And they came in and destroyed it. They destroyed everything. They destroyed the walls. They took off the people of Israel into captivity. It was horrific. Their their way of worship was stopped. The priestly line was destroyed. They thought they had lost everything, and they thought, this is the end of us. We won't exist anymore after this. That's how bad it was, and we could go into way more detail of just how bad this was. This was awful. I want you to write it down. The disobedience and rebellion of God's people had led to their collective discipline. Collective discipline is interesting because how many of you believe there was probably some really good Israelites that got caught up in that as well, right? And that is true. And I'm just telling you that we're going to live during times probably where our nation is collectively disciplined by God. And there'll be times where we, the people of God, are going to go, oh man, I feel like we're getting some of that too. And that is a part of us living in a fallen world. So what do we begin to learn? Remember I told you, God doesn't change. So what are we learning about God here that would still be true for us today? Here's one thing. God disciplines his children. He disciplines his children. In fact, the Bible says a good parent will discipline their kids. And if you don't, you don't really love your kid that much. Did you know that? Have you ever been around a kid you thought, that kid could use a little more discipline? Uh Uh-huh. You ever been around a kid you thought, I'd help them if they'd let me. I'd help them out with that. And if right now you're going, no, no, it's never happened to me. 
you're that parent with that kid. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> stir in the pot. Insert spoon, stir the pot. All good preachers do that sometimes, just having a little fun. Yeah, we discipline our kids because we love them. And God does not change, which means if he disciplined the, the children of Israel, he will discipline us. Listen, church, he will discipline you because he loves you. And his discipline is always for our good. It's never just to mess with us. It's never, just to, it's never retributive. God never gets you back. It's him trying to bring you back. Hear that again. God's discipline in your life is never getting you back. It's bringing you back to him. I want you to understand that today. Another thing we learned that's very true, and I love these couple of lines. Do you hear his heart for his people? He says to them, I'm the God who tells you the way you need to go. He's telling them, my commands are for your good. I want good for you. And then he says this, oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Your peace would have been like a river. Write it down, church. God's commands lead to peace. That still hasn't changed. Now, you and I, it's hard for us to relate to a lot of the things they dealt with in the ancient world. And it'd be hard for them to relate to what we have. But one thing that hasn't changed, God's commands for them and for us always leads to peace. How many of you in this room who are believers would say that the biggest regrets in your life has been when you stepped away from God's commands? Isn't that true? One of the best things we can learn as the people of God is to learn that his commands are for our good, always. But the original lie, listen to this church, the original lie in the Garden of Eden was that God's commands aren't for your good. Satan looks at Adam and Eve and he says, God's trying to hold out on you. He doesn't want you to eat that because he's scared you'll get this. He's scared you will rise to a certain level. His lie was that God was holding out on us. But that's not true. God's commands are always for our good. You know, I brought up King David a minute ago who turned Israel into a world power. David, if you remember his story was a very successful young man, but midway through, David messed up. And you remember he went through a stage of his life where he didn't disobey God. And how'd that work out for him, by the way? Total disaster, right? And God disciplined David. And it was harsh. He lost a lot. It was a bad situation. Then he comes back to God. And watch this. When he comes back, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. So aren't you thankful for forgiveness and redemption today? Anyone in the room grateful that God forgives and redeems and restores? I know I am. Now watch this. When David comes back around, he writes these powerful words. He says, among many, he says this line. He says, God, your commands and words are like honey to my lips. Now let's talk about honey for a second. How many of you in this room have a sweet tooth? Be honest now. How many of you have a sweet tooth? See, people have, most people with food, you're either a crunchy, salty person or you like the sweets. I like crunchy and sweet. You know what I'm saying? Bring it on. So i got a little sweet tooth, and I've got a little affinity for ice cream. I think ice cream's a gift from the Lord Almighty, his common grace to mankind, right? And so in the middle of the night, you know, when i got a little sweet tooth, I go looking for the Blue Bell because Blue Bell cookies and cream is my jam. Can anyone else relate to, today? may not be your flavor, but Blue Bell got it going on. You know, something good's happening in that little uh, container, okay? So I need you to understand that honey in the ancient world was Blue Bell ice cream. Now you got it? It's Bluebell. So in the middle of the night, I go, and I, I should go because we have honey. I think we have local Baldwin County honey, a little jar of it, in our pantry. And they say that if you'll eat that, it'll even help your allergies and stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. I, when I when I my sweet tooth, I don't go get some honey. I go for the Bluebell, okay? But in David's day, when he would wake up as king in the middle of the night, sweet tooth, he's like, man, i got to have something. 
he'd go walking down the hall the palace. He'd walk by the picture of him killing Goliath that they had painted, framed on the wall. Take another few steps. There's his slingshot that's been encased in, like, glass, lights hitting it, you know. Takes another. There's a basket that holds the rocks that he got out of the creek. One has a bull's eye on it that says, this is the one that killed, you know, all that, right? Trophies. Surely David had a trophy room, right? And then he finally gets to the pantry. He opens the door, and there's a jar of honey. Local grown Israeli honey, right? And he gets the spoon out and gets some of that. And, and in his more mature days, he said, you know what? God, your commands that I once thought confined me, I once thought your commands held me back, I now see through experience that your commands for me are sweet like this honey. It's the best thing I could ever discover, your commands for me, because I've learned that your commands were always for my good. And the worst time of my life is when I stop following your commands for me. So God, I will forever say your commands are like honey to my lips. Church, one of the best things we can learn is that his commands are good for us. They're good for us. They've always been for our good. And then God says to his people who are going to leave Babylon, he says, when you leave, I want you to let the world know that I did this for you. I want you, interestingly enough, to not just talk about me rescuing you from Babylon. He says, no, I want you to sing a song. A lot of theologians believe this was a song that was collectively in the history of Israel. They sang songs. And they believe, so this was a number one hit for years and years on Israeli radio, even all the way back in Egypt. That was funnier in my mind. You guys are a tough crowd today. I'm funnier than you're acting right now, okay? So there was this line from this song, but funny enough, he says, when you guys leave Babylon, don't sing about Babylon. No, I want you to sing about when I led your ancestors out of Egypt and how I took care of them in the desert. That's what I want you to sing about. Now, why? Why wouldn't they sing about the immediate thing? Because God's wanting the world to know that this isn't his first rodeo. God's wanting the world to know that he's been rescuing his people all along, that he's never stopped rescuing them, that you can go all the way back across history and see God's faithfulness. You'll see the up and down of Israel, but you'll see the consistency of God. And I'm going to be honest with you. You look at my life, you look at Chris Bell's life, and you'll see up and down, and you'll see dark times and light times and mess-ups and mistakes. But one thing you'll find in my 44 years is the faithfulness and consistency of the living God in my life. And I believe you'll see that in your life as well if you will walk with Jesus. He's consistent. He does not change. So one way we can worship, because I, what we've done today already has been worshipful. I love songs and music. How about that opening song today, right? Wow. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the only way to worship God, though. Let me give you something kind of meaty to grab onto. Here's a way to worship. Observe and celebrate. The historically evident pattern, meaning you can see it if you look, of God's unchanging character and faithfulness. That's a way to worship him. To look and notice the timeline and go, hey, he's faithful to me. He's faithful to these folks. He was faithful to David. He was faithful to Moses. We've got a long resume of God's faithfulness. And it is good. Listen, God is proud of being a good dad. Do you notice that? 
He says, hey, I want you to sing so the whole world can hear it as you're marching out of Babylon when I bring them to their knees and you head back to the promised land and I rebuild your life and I rebuild your world. I want you to say to the whole world, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a good dad and I discipline my kids but not a minute too long and I can make water come out of rocks in the desert when I need to. He says, I want the world to hear you say that. So God... His faithful has been faithful, and we worship him when we notice it, when we celebrate it, when we talk about it. So I'll give you a Facebook challenge. How about this? How about this next week? You don't use Facebook to tell the world how mad you are, how angry you are, how right you are. What if you use your Facebook page for the next week to tell the world specific ways in which God has provided for you and has been good to you? And then you can even use hashtag blessed. You know hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. Big bunch of fish. Hashtag blessed. Right? Big burger you grill, cheese and onions all over it and stuff. Hashtag blessed. This thing might stop my heart, but God gave it to me. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. What if this week we just celebrate God's goodness in our lives? Now, another thing you can't forget, though, is a thing that we see here that, that we might want to ignore, because everybody likes to talk about that, right? But... Don't forget, he disciplines his children. His discipline is clear here. He's rescuing him, them from his discipline. It was him who allowed Babylon to take him over, and he will discipline us. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline's never fun in the moment, but it always, if it's done right, is good in the end. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As a kid, when I was disciplined, and I needed plenty of it, when I was disciplined by my grandparents or by my mom or my dad, never in the middle of the discipline did I look at them and go, hey, I just want to let you guys know, thank you for this. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for this. Look, when I close my eyes, I can still hear my dad's belt, my, his belt coming through the loops on his blue jeans. You know what I mean? I can hear the jingle of that buckle at the end of it because I grew up in old school. Dad, we didn't time out. Time out was get outside and work in the yard. That's what time out was. Discipline meant the belt, okay? And, and never did I ever look at him and say, hey, before we get started, I just want you to know. I appreciate this. Because, Dad, you've had a hard day. You've worked hard. You come home, now you've got to deal with me. And you could be in there watching TV. You could be outside hanging out. You could be sitting in a chair, relaxing. But, oh, no, you are spending your time and that beautiful object of discipline you're holding in your hand to come into this room and set me straight. And I just want to thank you for your investment in my life because I know it's going to be for my good. So let's get after it. <laughs> Not once. Not once did you either. Because none of us like discipline in the moment, do we? But how many of you know you probably needed most of it that you got, right? Yeah. And so God tells us that we should be thankful for his discipline because when he disciplines us, it's always for our good and it is a sign that he really does love us. He loved Israel because how would world history have looked had he allowed Israel to continue to walk away from him and become a completely pagan nation? What would that look like? And we look back and we go, thank goodness God allowed Babylon to take them over and turn them back to him. Thank goodness he did that, for he is good. But let's make our connection now. 
I still find it fascinating that God wants these Israelites leaving Babylon to remember and celebrate that God's been doing this a long time. And he tells them to go all the way back to the Exodus and celebrate that. Now, there's another thing that is unusual here. If you're going to sing a song about the Exodus, what do you think you would normally sing about if you're going to sing about the Exodus? What would it be about? What's the miracle that's the overwhelming, famous miracle from the Exodus? The walking across the Red Sea, right? The title of the song, you would think, would be the Red Sea. That is not the miracle he points out. The miracle he specifically wants them to sing about as they leave Babylon is that he let Israel drink water from a rock. Now think about that. And I think it's because we have underestimated the scope of that miracle. I think that we think Red Sea, awesome, and then he did some other stuff out in the desert. And we didn't realize that what he did out in the desert was just as big as the Red Sea. Okay? So today we're going to look at what he pointed out. God said, I want you to tell the world that I made my people drink water from rocks. And that that was a massive miracle. So let's go to when that happened. Again, let's give you context of this miracle. So the people of Israel had become a million people. When they were in slavery to Egypt, they started as a little family, but over hundreds of years of slavery, they became a million people. Do you know how many people? A million people? Looks like You know what that looks like? Listen, I think a lot of us, when we think of Israel leaving Egypt, we think a couple hundred people, old man with a beard, some goats, some cattle, sticks in their hands, and there they go. A million people. That is as many people that we have here in our metro area of Mobile, Alabama, and the eastern shore in Baldwin County. So you take Baldwin County, Mobile County, put every human being in these two counties together, you've got this. Imagine everybody getting out on an open plane and walking together. That's what you have. Now do you have that in your mind? This is massive, okay? Massive. They get across the Red Sea, the greatest water miracle in the entire Bible. What kind of miracle did God work for them? A water miracle. He showed them his power over water. And then these million people plus end up out in the middle of a wilderness, a desert, and they get further and further out there, and they begin to run out of water. Their containers, their canteens, their Yeti coolers, they run out of water. Right? And then they realize it. Because they understood in an ancient world, water is necessary to live. And they began to freak out, and rightly so. Because think about it, a million people, it had all kinds of people. You had healthy people, but you also had, you know, Uncle Henry and Papa Bob and Grandma Betsy and all them in there. And water, hey, they're not going to be able to last as long. And not only that, you got sick people. And you have crippled people. They were malnourished for hundreds of years. Not only that, you got babies and mothers nursing their babies. You got all of this, and Moses is leading them out there, and they end up so far out that they'll die before they get back to water, and they have no idea where any water is. So what direction do they go? It is a bad situation. Can y'all feel the anxiety of that now? Now let's dive in. Exodus 17. All the congregation, that means a million people, of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. By stages, that tells you how big it was. You had to send 50,000, another 50,000, another 50,000. That's how they moved this many people, according to the commandment of the Lord. They camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. There's the problem. It's a water problem. Now think about this. God works a water miracle, Red Sea. First thing the Israelites face is a water problem. Verse 2. Therefore, 
The people quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock? Well, thirst so they know this, they all might die. That's how serious it is. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so. Moses did so, which tells you the miracle took place. He did it. The rock gushed out water, and all million people got all the water they needed. They filled up all the containers. They're good to go. He called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, one more thing to make you feel how important this is and how important water is. So doctors will tell you that you can make it a long time without food. You cannot make it long without water, though. Your body is mostly made of water. Did you know that? So you need water. Last year, I was reading online, and this news story, exactly this, I saw it. Family three, pet dog found dead in remote California hiking area. And when I saw that, because I've been out west a few times, I thought, oh my goodness, because I look at those woods and where they were hiking, and I think grizzly bear. I think they were, they were attacked by a bear. Horrible. Even it got the dog, you could just see, in my mind, I could see a little dog trying to protect the family, and I thought, that's what happened. Then you read the story, and a bear didn't get them. Dehydration did. It's a horrific story. This family started hiking that morning. They didn't check the weather reports, and the weather was warning everyone to not go out, that the, the temperatures were going to spike. It was the hottest day that area had had in history. Okay, some, At some places, they think it got above 115 degrees. It was crazy, crazy, crazy. There was no moisture in the air. It was really bad. And these people got halfway through their hike and ran out of water. And like the children of Israel, they're too far into the height to go back, so they might as well try to go on through, same distance both ways. And they found their bodies, one body after another, and finally the dog, dead from dehydration. Their bodies couldn't go any further. Now, think about that situation, except you've got a million people. That is the weight, that is the anxiety of the problem. But also remember what those million people had just seen God do. God had worked a water miracle, and now he gives them a water problem. What does this teach us? What can we learn? We learn this. God will test us on what he has taught us. He always does. Like any good teacher, like any good coach, God will test you on what he has taught you. Now, let me ask you something. What's God trying to teach you right now and test you on? Some of you are going through some tough times. I bet if you're a Christian, if you look back a little bit, you'll see things he taught you that he's now testing you on. So he's testing you. And he will always test us. That's why the book of James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, why in the world would I be happy when I go through something tough? Here's why. For you know that the testing of your faith, that happens for all of us, produces steadfastness, and that word means maturity. How many of you in this room want to grow stronger in your faith in Jesus, more mature in your faith in Jesus? There is no shortcut. I got a trainer friend of mine who always says, hey, the reason most people don't get in great shape is because you can't put three months of hard work and eating right in a bottle. 
You can't sell that in a store. You just got to go do it, okay? Same thing we're growing in Christ. There's no just simple solution. God has one way to do it. He teaches us and he tests us. He splits the Red Sea and then puts us in a desert where we don't have any water. You following how he works? He's never stopped doing this. He will do it in your life as well. And what he's trying to teach them and us is that he will provide for us. Now let me tell you why us believing and trusting that God will provide for us is so important. Because when people are provided for, you relax, you have joy, you don't worry all the time, you're not fearful, you don't feel like every day you have to make another point on Facebook, you just relax, so you're better to be around, you enjoy the journey. That is why you trusting in God's provision is so important. It's why he wanted Israel to trust him. It's so important. So let's talk about what we learn from these two passages today about provision in our time together. Number one, the thing you need to know that we learn from the scriptures today is that God may provide differently than we expect. That's one thing you need to be aware of. Let me explain what I mean. I have never said to myself, I am so thirsty, I need some water. Can someone get me a rock? Anybody else? Water is not supposed to come out of these. Like I could see digging for water, but when God provided for Israel, here's what he says. Moses is like, hey, they're about to, number one, they're about to kill me. There's a million of them. I'm not going to win. They're real mad, and I kind of get it because I'm thirsty too, and I'm not sure what we're doing here. And God says, oh, uh, grab a stick and hit a rock. Like even in the ancient world, they knew if you want water, you got to go find somewhere and dig for it. So I'm sure Moses is like, hey, if you could just tell me the location of the underground aquifer, the place where the water is, we'll go dig and we'll find it. But i got no signs of water around here anywhere. It just looks like a desert to me. Please help me. And God says, oh, i got you covered. There's a big rock up the road. Just take your stick and go hit it. Oh, and by the way, make sure everyone's watching when you do. You want me to hit a rock with a stick? Yep, big rock. You want to make sure everyone, because if, if I'm Moses, I'm like, I'll go hit the rock first, make sure there's some water in there, and then I'll go tell everybody. God's like, oh, no, 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 it's going to be high pressure. You make sure everyone's watching. You bring all the leaders around, you get everyone together, all the pressure, and you go, hey, everybody, I know you're thirsty and you're ready to kill me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit this rock with a stick. And they're like, uh, you know, they're all holding rocks in their hands, ready to stone him, he says. So... You need to know that God sometimes will use unusual means to meet your needs. And how many of you have been walking with God long enough, you've seen God provide for you in ways that you could not see that coming, right? Haven't we all? Like you didn't see it coming, but if you would have trusted him, he was going to provide for you all along. That's a beautiful thing about walking with God is you get to see his creativity, and it's awesome. Just trust God will provide. Number two, God loves to provide. You need to know he loves to provide for you. But there's two things that he wants. He wants us to ask and trust him, and he wants us, when he does provide, to recognize it and celebrate it. You see that all through Scripture. You see it here. He says, I'm going to get you out of Babylon. You better sing about it. And I want you to sing that song I like about me making the rock gush water, that one. He's specific. He, he also wants you to ask him. John Piper says the most astounding verse in the Bible, one of the most astounding to him, is in James where it says you have not because you ask not. Think about that. Many of you in this room are trying to provide everything for yourself. And, and, and being an American taught you that. 
And I love being an American, but we think we can do anything. And you know what? There's a limit to what you can do. I'm sorry, you are a finite creature, but Christians serve an infinite God, and God wants you to ask him to provide for you. Some of you need to unleash God's provision in your life. What is it that you need God to provide and you've never asked him to? Think about that for a second. Ask him. That's why the Bible says, seek, not ask. God's literally saying, beat my door down. I want you to ask me, and I will provide. And then when he does, celebrate it. Tell the world. Talk about it. When you go to a good restaurant, you tell everyone, right? A few weeks ago, the new movie Top Gun Maverick came out. All day long, opening day, opening night, my phone was blowing up. I was getting texts, voicemails, people calling me. You got to go see this movie, man. It's the best movie ever. Perfect movie. I'm getting all these texts. Top Gun's awesome. Tom Cruise, 100 years old, but he looks like he's 30. <laughs> Not sure what's going on there. Like, it's awesome. Everybody's talking about how great it is. We should talk about God that way. Talk about how great he is, what he's done for us. We don't use spiritual language enough anymore. Let's get spiritual again. Let's talk to one another and not think it's corny to say, hey, I just want you to know God has been good to me lately. God is providing for me. You won't believe what he's doing in my life. Why don't we get that back into our vocabulary? And then, number three, be aware that God's provision can be through ordinary means often or miraculous means which is rare. Now let's talk about this. Because a lot of you go, why would you say miracles are rare? Because they are. Well, where do you get that information? The Bible. The Bible is not, let me help you here, and this isn't to diminish miracles. We believe, look, I am convinced, I'll tell you one, since I've been here, my time at Three Circle, I am convinced and will forever will be that a woman in this church had cancer. The doctors told her she did. She came to our elders. We prayed for her. She goes back to the doctor on Tuesday, and they're like, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. All those tests, they must have all been wrong because literally there's nothing wrong with you. Clears the bell, and that was like seven, eight years ago. Okay? I think God worked a miracle. But you know what he more often does? More often we pray over people, and through ordinary means of his common grace in humanity he uses doctors and medicine and are you following me here so what i'm saying is the bible people go the bible is a book full of miracles no it is a book full of a lot of stuff with a few miracles even jesus ministry was not primarily miracles his miracles are famous because there's a few of them over three and a half years most of the time he's teaching and doing life and he could do anything and he did work miracles so we believe that miracles still happen. You better believe it. And we ask God for miracles. But here's the problem with us sometimes. We only praise God for the miracles. And we don't praise him for the ordinary stuff. But folks, God's ordinary common grace for us is evident all the time. When's the last time you went to the doctor and just thanked God for the fact that God in his common grace let medical science get to the point that it is? Where you can take a pill every day and not sneeze your head off in May in South Alabama because you got Allegra or Zyrtec or whatever other manna from heaven God has given us to live this life, right? That's God's ordinary way of providing for us. Listen, let me say it like this. Sometimes God lets you drink from a rock. Other times, he gives you a Yeti cooler full of Aquafina. Sometimes it's ordinary. Sometimes it's miraculous. And he does both. We praise him for both. Amen, church? And to finish today, these two things are very important. It's the core of who we are as a church. Because number four, God's greatest provision for our greatest need is himself. 
Don't ever miss it. If God never did another thing for me, he has done more than I could have ever asked for in Jesus. He is the gift. He is the miracle. All that he wanted for Israel was for them to know him and trust him and walk with him. He is the miracle ultimately, which leads to this final thing. So that means the gospel, the message of Jesus, is the declaration of God's ultimate provision. Because your ultimate needs, not water out of a rock, and it's not manna from heaven, and it's not even for your body to be healed if you're sick. All of our collective greatest need was a Savior. We needed a Savior. And we got him in Jesus. Amen, church? We are people who've had our greatest need met. And so we praise him. And so we worship him for his provision. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word today. We love it. And we love your truth. May we live it. May we be changed by it today in Jesus' name. Amen.